Hello and welcome to another episode of the Veterinary Journal Club. I am so excited to um, welcome a new guest to the show today, um, almost Dr. <laughs> Jeremiah Grissett. Um, so uh, Jeremiah is a, he's the counselor and wellness coordinator at Oklahoma State University at the vet school there. And he is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a PhD candidate. Um, and so very soon will be Dr. Grissett. Um, but um, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So um, um, Jeremiah is here because I heard him talk at um, the recent AAVMC conference. And he, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how that ended up. But um, basically, you were talking about resilience um, and maybe some of the misconceptions the average person has about resilience and, you know, what are the good things about it, but maybe also what are the bad things about it? And I just thought it was a really engaging talk. Um, I really appreciated, um, I think your passion um, for your field really came through. Um, and you also, you shared a little bit um, that if I get, correct me if I'm wrong, but your wife is a veterinarian. And so that's kind of your link into the veterinary world. And so you've, you've observed kind of through her maybe, you know, some of the things about our profession and the training programs that aren't, aren't as good as they could be. Um, and yeah. it seems like that's been that you're like, Oh, okay. There's, there's a lot, um, to, to be done there. So, um, it seems like that's kind of how you got into the veterinary world and how you ended up at the AAVMC conference and probably Oklahoma state university. Um, but at any rate, I, I just, I really enjoyed your presentation. And again, just a lot of things you talked about. I thought this would be great. I would love to have him um, come on the podcast. So I just out of the blue <laughs> emailed you, and you were gracious enough to accept my invitation and come and chat about stuff. So thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for reaching out. Yeah. So maybe we can start. Just tell, tell us all a little bit about, yeah, how did you end up um, at the vet school at Oklahoma State University? I gave away maybe some of the, <laughs> um, some no. of the details, but yeah, share, share with us your, your journey to where you are now. For sure. So um, about two years ago, um, I was uh, towards the end of my coursework and my PhD program, um, and I was um, practicing in community mental health um, and in a group practice in town as well, and working a lot of different kind of part-time jobs as I was um, pursuing licensure uh, and trying to work towards my, my doctorate. And the position at the vet school came up. My, my supervisor was like, hey, like this is available. Um, he knew that both I had um, done my internship during my master's program at um, a student counseling program um, at another university. And uh, he also knew that my, my girlfriend at the time was, was she was actually a vet student. Um, and he's like, hey, I think you'd be perfect. Reached yeah. out, applied, um, and really just kind of, just kind of hoping for, for having a one job, you know, yeah. instead of a, yeah. a lot of small part-time jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and was able to interviewed and got the position started and it in was June a good two, fit it was a good fit started in june of 2019 first person in this position so i kind of came in and developed the counseling program that we have here and, and the wellness program and things are still still, still growing yeah um, there's good and bad things about being the first one right like it means sure. you kind of have a lot of flexibility into making it what you want it to be but also like it's all you <laughs> absolutely and you know i i can think about how almost two years is a lot of time, but in reality, two years is a short time to, to yeah. make a lot of change. And, yeah. and so really been working towards just chipping away at, you know, first starting, starting the counseling services and making sure that students have an easy and accessible um, and, and free resource um, in the yeah. building where they spend all their time. Um, and then now we're trying to kind of bring in an overarching kind of idea of, of what 
of healthy or good well-being and, and how yeah. we can not just focus on mental health, but just well-being in general, because yeah. mental health is, is a dimension of, of well-being. Um, and so, so yeah, that's what brought, what brought me here. My wife's now a veterinarian. We got married in December. So um, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Um, and she's, she's doing an internship here at the, at the vet school. Um, and she'll be done in, in a couple months. Pretty and, soon, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and I'll finish my, I'll finish my doctorate here in, in just a couple of weeks as well. I'll be Man, you guys timed that really well. <laughs> we did. Um, Nobody ever so, can do that. <laughs> not, not all at the same time. Um, but, you know, the plans are still to stick around here and, and stay here Very for, cool. to really continue to continue the work that we've, we've started um, here at the vet school. That's really um, exciting. Yeah. And, and then the opportunity came up to, you know, having just different conversations. Um, I've, I've presented at other conferences before and I, and I like presenting. And this was just one of those things. My, my conversation about resilience was just one of those things I've become really passionate about. Yeah. The PhD program has focused a lot on resilience and how um, specifically my PhD is in human development, family science. And so we really focus on like um, the family structure and, and what does individual and family resilience look like? Um, how does that play? How do we, we promote that? Also, how do we create space for that process to occur um, in individuals and families' lives? So what I found, you know, really intriguing in your talk was, you know, we always talk about resilience, like it's this, this is great thing, like, yeah, being resilient is good. And we talk about, yeah, this person is resilient. That's a good trait to have. Um, but you're kind of like, well, let's, let's take a step back for a second and let's think about what, what resilience really means and when do you need to be resilient? And while resilience as a trait, yes, is probably a good quality to have like that yet yeah, that is a good thing but maybe we, we need to take a step back and say why is that that person having to be resilient and maybe we could change the structure that leads to the need for resilience is that that's like my that, fumbling summary there that is a great summary um and it's, it's a really like great 30 second <laughs> hidden hard home, the elevator like, pitch yeah exactly you know and i those are, those are words that i'm actually going to steal as i continue to take them all that. Yeah, it's all um, recorded, so. <laughs> perfect. Um, no, exactly. So I think when we turn, when it comes to resilience, I think we, it's become a buzzword. Yeah. In our society, we just, we hear it, we talk, you know, if you watch any sports game, um, mm-hmm. at the end of it, you know, the team that comes back after that post-game interview, like, well, we're just, we're really resilient, you know? Yeah. You see that person who is getting the special on the news about overcoming something, and they're just like, wow, we're just impressed at how resilient you have been. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's there. It's in the movies that we yeah. watch, in the stories that we read. And because it's become such a talking point and a buzzword, I think we've really lost the nuance and what it means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly when it comes to how we're promoting it and presenting it. Yeah. Um, in the talk um, and, and just in the research kind of as I put together, you know, there's one, lots of areas of resilience. It's dozens and, you know, tens and dozens and dozens of researchers have been trying to understand resilience for decades um, since the phenomenon was kind of originally understood. Um, And there's kind of several schools of thought, you know, there's those who think that it's a, it is a trait, you know, it is something that it's within that individual. Um, Some people kind of view it as it's the outcome, you know, you don't get to experience resilience until like you have achieved that. And, but I come from the school of thought where resilience is the process that you go through. And so when we, we think about that, we, when we think about what's happening in that process, how do we like tap in to the resources around that individual 
and the perceptions within that individual to help them experience that process of resilience rather than working to try to make that person more resilient. Yeah. Because- I think, no, I, I think that's the, the, the potential danger in sort of promoting resilience as this quality that people have. Good people are resilient. We're saying, oh, well, then if you don't bounce back from this, that's a you problem. That's mm-hmm. not a structural problem, or that's not that we didn't support you through this. I was like, oh, you just need to be more resilient, you know? And, and I've actually heard people say that, you know, things yeah. like that, like, well, you're just going to have to really be more resilient and you're just going to have to fight through this and, you know, again, bounce back, which is the, the synonym that I sort of think about resilience. I'm thinking about like from like physics, like the properties of a structure where it's like it, if you stretch something out from its normal shape it will go back to its original shape like that's resilience it's a return to normal yeah. um but that is like when we're talking about a rubber band that's an intrinsic pro- property of the rubber band um but nobody's like yeah but if you keep stretching it over and over and over and over again and you never you know like eventually you're going to wear that rubber band out um, exactly. and so yeah i mean but I also, this bouncing back to your original state is potentially, I guess the way I think about it in its, in and of itself, maybe problematic, it, maybe not the, the concept, but like thinking about resilience in the terms, uh, I guess I'm also thinking about it as, and maybe this is wrong, you can tell me, but like growth is also important. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we talk about resilience, getting back to where we re- were before, I don't, you know, like, is that really the goal too? And, and maybe the more modern or better understanding of resilience has room for that growth as well. And I think what you're saying, like, it's the process. And if it's a process, then to me, there is room to be like, okay, I've learned and I've grown. I'm not the exact same person that I was before, you know, whatever asked me to be resilient or, or something like that. Um, because yeah, I'm like, I don't, I don't actually want my students um, to, when they're learning things to just be like, okay, cool. I just went back to where I was before. No, like the whole point is you're supposed to be growing through these programs. Um, So I don't know, like, is, is resilience like a protective mechanism and is it in some ways preventing that growth? Um, And and therefore that could potentially be problematic if you saw it that way. But I think if at least the definition that you're sort of, maybe you can talk to me a little bit more about this process um, and if I'm just way off base or if that, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, no, I, you, you said a lot there and I know, and I, I want to make sure that, no, and there's nothing, to, nothing bad about it. Um, I just want to make sure that I'm connecting all the dots in my head. Um, one thing that I think, one, resilience and growth are absolutely connected okay. uh, and they are important. There's a lot of schools um, of thought that say resilience doesn't occur like just bouncing back to normal isn't resilience. It's the bouncing back from adversity and going above and and increasing your function. That's actually what resilience is. Um, It's important to clarify as well that resilience doesn't occur without uh, adversity. um, Because, and and specifically the decrease in functioning following adversity. So we all experience crisis. We all experience um, difficulties. However, we don't always experience that kind of decline in our abilities because of it um mm-hmm. and and it's that that bounce, that's when we need to bounce back gotcha. you know working through a crisis working through stressful situations um that's and and containing and maintaining your your functioning yeah. that's 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 called coping gotcha. um and and that's how we navigate everyday life um gotcha. but and, and and coping while good coping is a part of resilience, mm-hmm. you can cope and not be resilient. Got it. 
Yes. Okay. That makes sense. But it also suggests that all the times we're using resilience as a buzzword, it's probably being used incorrectly in a lot of those situations. Right. So like when the sports team yeah. is like, yeah, we, we it, really, they're saying we never gave up. That's not mm-hmm. the same as being resilient. Like you didn't exactly. experience, like, I mean, I suppose sometimes maybe it's right. Like in the third quarter of that football game, like we actually were, were performing really poorly and then we can't, but yeah, I, I don't really think that that's exactly the right term. So that's probably where a lot of the confusion comes from is that the For term sure. is being used incorrectly based on the definition you're talking about yeah and particularly for us um in the field who have have done a lot of reading on it and had a lot of conversations about it it's become this like nails on a chalkboard where like you know how that's yeah that's not what you mean yeah but again i we're also coming from it from this yeah Overthought. No, it's the same thing I've for me. If I'm watching a medical show and they defibrillate somebody who's died when they're flatlined, I'm like, no, that's not the right use of the defibrillator. So I get it. I get it. Where you're just like, okay, I need to calm down. Like I get, you know, <laughs> but I, um, I, I know too much on this to like <laughs> for it to have, be a part of a normal conversation. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that's part of why I wanted to give that conver- that talk because yeah. all the time and in, in my experience with, with vet students, um, I hear so many faculty, hear so many um, administrators just saying like, we really just have to help our students be stronger. Or like yeah. we, we talk about, um, we, we don't want to graduate soft students, yeah. you know? And, or and in we, admissions committees, we say resilience is a quality we are looking for. And I've heard exactly. them say things like that before and I've not really understood it correctly. You know, now that I, I mean, I've not had a complete understanding of what that means. For sure. And I, and I think what's important to realize is that all of our students getting into vet school is hard enough and they've mm-hmm. already ex- gone through the process of resilience. Yeah. They have already engaged with that already. They're already incredibly strong. Yeah. And, and, and we need to, to honor that and, and support that and not. They don't have anything to, left to prove. <laughs> yeah. They, they've, they've already worked hard enough. Like yeah. why do they need to work harder? Because yeah. anytime you're telling someone to be more resilient, you're simply just telling them to, to work harder, to do more. Yeah. When in reality, the reason they be struggling, the reason that they're struggling may not necessarily be their work ethic right? or, or yeah. something within them. It's more than likely something that's in their context, something that's happening around them that is causing um, a difficulty. Yeah. Um, there's, um, there's a concept that was presented, I think in the 1950s or 60s, um, called the ABCX model. And it's, it's a very basic understanding of um, for like when crisis occurs. And okay. so you have like your A, which is um, your, your crisis event. Um, okay. It is the, the difficult thing that occurs. Um, B is the resources that you have access to. Uh-huh. C is the, your perception of that, that stressful uh-huh. event. And when you have that equation, if you have enough resources and you have the right perception, then you are able to navigate that stress effectively. And then X, which is crisis or no crisis doesn't happen. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you and, have this. And, yeah. Okay. And, and I think that's like, that's helped me understand the process of resilience really well because, and, and from this work is by this researcher named Ruben Hill. Um, people have utilized that to now like flush out what resilience looks like for individuals, for families, yeah. because we really are understanding that the process of resilience, like it's not always something within that person, but often it's right. the resources that they have and then supporting them to have a proper perception of what's happened to them. Gotcha. Um, and that's 
when I think about that, yeah. that's what I'm thinking we need for students is like, okay, yeah. it's not just you working harder. What resources right. do you have access to? Is there something that we can reframe in this situation to help you better understand like what's happened rather than you just need to study more. You just need to right. work harder. You just need to give more of yourself and then, then you'll be okay. Well, and, and that's, it's really interesting because it does have room. There's some nuance there, right? Like there are some somewhat I guess, internal factors, like how you perceive something is going to affect, you know, ultimately the outcome. Um, but there, it, it acknowledges that there's a lot of external factors um, um, that go into that. So it, it helps, I think, just in a very kind of simple way, explain why two people could go through the same event and have very different outcomes. Um, but it's not entirely about that person's intrinsic, like, oh, it, this yeah. is the fault of them. Like this person had more resources available to them, um, or again, had the support to um, perceive, you know, this event in a different way. And so um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to put the blame right back on the person to say, oh, well, all of your colleagues are going through this and they're doing fine. So why aren't you doing fine? Exactly. Um, so I, I think that's really nice, but it, it, it also does leave some room to say you, you also do have a little control over some of this, right? For sure. Um, like, when, when we face trial, there's always things that, that are our responsibilities. Yeah. Us. Yeah. Um, when I when I talk about improving our environment so that we can be more supportive of students, I'm not trying to absolve students right. of their responsibilities. However, I am trying to encourage these systems, these these programs, yeah. to take on more responsibility. Yeah. So when we talk about telling students to be more resilient, in essence, we're also absolving ourselves from the responsibility of their failures. Mm-hmm. because if, if a student fails, well, they just weren't resilient enough. Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, we actually also let them, we also, we failed them too. We failed them too. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and, and then, and it's also, I think for me, I mean, I don't, I don't want it to be because it's, how do I articulate this? So there's a responsibility, but there's also like a power with that. Like, I also want I want to know that it's not entirely about these external forces too, right? Like I want to know that mm-hmm. there are some things that I have control over because that's, I can control me and that's it. Um, so it, it's nice that I still retain, I can retain some control over the situation, um, but it's not entirely to, you know, that, that there's a little bit of shared responsibility here as well. Um, and I'm sure there's, you know, you can, theoretically imagined scenarios where like, okay, we've provided all the support that we possibly could and that doesn't work. Um, and we've provided none of the support at all and this person still thrives. Like, you know, you can see either extreme of that of that mm-hmm. spectrum, but it, what you're advocating for is can we meet a little bit more in the middle um, and to say, okay, well, let's provide the students with the resources um, to support them also to help their growth um, so that their sort of internal or intrinsic, um, you know, kind of factors are there too. Because it's, it's not, it's not that black and white. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's going to be most helpful is, is modeling a lot of this, you know, how, how we, we can give all of the resources we want, right. but if students don't view that these resources are valuable, then, then they're, they're not going to pursue them. And what that's going to take is those of us with power, with influence mm-hmm. to acknowledge when we've utilized such resources or when we've also struggled so that we can then begin to help shift the perceptions of our students so that they're like, oh, well, Dr. Connor, um, yeah. Dr. Connor struggled. Yeah, um, but look at her, she's doing okay. So. Yeah, she, she's got this. So yeah. maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe if, I, if I'm struggling, I'm, it doesn't mean I'm a failure. Right, you know, she and just got we, some help. Exactly, and if yeah. we, just, we can do that, we can help our students shift their perceptions by engaging with 
the the process of resilience yeah. and acknowledging when we've had to reach out for help and acknowledge yeah. how we've coped um, because because no one no one has gotten no one who's successful in this world has done it on their own. Nope. Um, and like we acknowledging where we've asked for help is is yeah. just so important. Yeah. Um, I have I have two main messages um, that I talk with the vet students here. Um, the first is it's, it's okay to ask for help before it becomes a crisis. And that is like, I yeah, strongly, strongly encourage that. And the second is, is your personal well-being is your client's greatest asset. Um, and I really like, really coach that and encourage that to help them understand that like you have to take care of yourself yeah. and working harder depletes that sense of well-being and you are not maintaining your yourself as a sharp tool that you've created yourself to be. No, I like how you phrase that. So your say that again. Your well-being is your yeah, client's your, greatest asset. Your personal well-being is your client's greatest asset. Yeah, I always look at it like if I if I'm not functioning at my best, how am I going to save these animals? That's kind of I mean like it's just the same basic no. thing, but but it's true. Um, but I'm I really like that resonates with me the the idea of modeling because I think about that a lot when I'm teaching. Um, I want to model my thought process. Um, so I'm going through, here's what I'm doing. And I'm going to discuss with you, why did I make this decision? Why did I prescribe this medication? So on and so forth. So I'm going to model my critical thinking process um, because there's, it's, it's a little hard to be like in medicine, it's not black and white as um, you know, that, mm -hmm. you know, in, in your field as well, like there's three different definitions, at least for resilience, like it's not that clear cut. And so it's more about like, okay, well, what's your thought process, why you got through this and so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, it's the, cats don't come in with multiple choice tests, you know, they don't come in. As a, so it's the thought process that matters. And so modeling that when I'm teaching is also really important. And, um, and I am coming to understand that it's not just um, modeling my behaviors as a clinician, but also just as a person. Yeah, um, yeah I had a really great chat with um, students in, in my emergency critical care care course yesterday. And we were we were chatting a little bit about burnout. But mostly what I was doing was sharing like, my personal experiences of how like I feel like I've been able to do well in this field and like where are the boundaries that I've drawn and like what are the limits that I've put on and what works for me just to kind of again model something that's that's working for me and um, that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work for you but just kind of thinking about these things and like you said validating like it's okay to to think about these things in this yeah, way and it's okay struggle. to ask for help yeah like I have bad days too of course I do um I have days where I'm like oh you know I just want to get out of here or what what am I thinking I just <laughs> I need to get a new job what you know I, I've been through all of those things I remember I remember specifically um <laughs> a very very particular night during my internship many years ago thinking why did I do this? This was the worst yeah. decision I've ever made in my entire life. If your wife's going through an internship, I suspect, you know, it may or may not have yeah. come up at one point or another. I think every <laughs> intern goes through that at some point. Um, but on a whole, I don't look back and regret anything. Um, you know, that doesn't mean I didn't have moments, <laughs> but, and so sharing things like that, sharing mistakes that I've made, um, I have learned over the years to stop, you know, hiding those um, and to be more open about when I've made mistakes, because I'm now in a position that, I can recognize that one, I'm going to keep making mistakes, hopefully not the same mistakes over and over yeah. again. Right. But I'm going to keep making mistakes. I'm going to, I'm going to be wrong and I'm okay. Um, that doesn't mean I'm not a good veterinarian because if I, if that crushes me, um, because I've made a mistake, I'm not going to help my future patients. Like I can't do any more good. And, and so I've, sort of recognize that. It doesn't mean I'm not bothered when I make a mistake or when I'm wrong. It, it doesn't feel good. I I'm not bothered when I have to call up a client and say, I screwed up. I, that's not a fun conversation, mm -hmm. but I don't 
I don't go into another room and have that conversation privately with them anymore. Like I bring the students in um, again, because I've now reached a point where I can share that with them and, and hopefully show them that like, I'm okay. You know, hopefully they look at me and say, okay, yeah, she's a good doctor. Um, you know, she's got, had a successful career. She's doing that. And she still made a mistake and she's acknowledged that and can move on from that. So that modeling is something I've, I've been trying to do more of outside of just the teaching, um, just the, like the medicine content part. No, for sure. And I love what you said, because like you talked about being a person and, and as a, as a person, you are more than a veterinarian, yes. just like I am more than a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have all these pieces and, you know, every, all of our students are more than just a vet student, yes. even though they feel like 90% of their time is spent there. And the other 10% mm-hmm. is sometimes, sometimes eating and sometimes sleeping. Um, <laughs> like the, yeah. they're more than just what they do. Yep. And my, one of the things that I hope that every student that I get to work with, I get to encourage them to, as they are on this process of, of earning DV and they get to maintain their sense of self. Um, I, I, it, I know it happens, but there are people who, in every professional program, whether it's PhD, masters, MD, DVM, um, anything like that, there are people who achieve those letters after their name, but they lose part of themselves along the yeah. process. And, and that's- That's dangerous. That's, it's so, yeah. And because you are, you're losing part, those parts of you that helped you be successful to get you into the program in the first place. Yeah. Um, and, and maintaining that, um, that, that, that humanness mm-hmm. that I, um, that is a part of all of us yeah. is, is so important. Yeah. Now it's hard. It's hard to engage with that parts of ourselves. It's very, sometimes it's easier to shut those things out or mm-hmm. to let go of those things. Um, it, it's harder to engage with those difficult emotions and, and model that and that transparency. But one of my new new mantras for um, for my life and, and with my clients is just just because something's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. You know, I and the because the opposite is true is just because something's easy doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. Um, and because we really we often think that oh this is difficult I must be doing something wrong. Have you, have you seen the movie, um, um, a league of their own Yeah. Tom Hanks baseball movie? He has yeah. a quote. You have to, this is his quote. He goes, he's talking about, um, I don't, I don't remember exactly which scene it was it's Tom Hanks. So, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be amazing, but, um, but he's talking about if it were easy, everyone would do it. Right. He's yeah. like the hard is what makes it great. Like that's the line. <laughs> and so it's a little bit what you're talking about. Yeah. One of my personal beliefs is that if, if change were easy, we would all be the best versions of ourselves. Yeah. But like, because we would all like adjust yeah. and adapt to grow, but, but change is hard. And the reason that we gravitate towards unhealth is because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, it, it's more comfortable to, to stay on the couch rather to than get, to get up. And, quo. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's, it, we have to do those things that are difficult um, to grow um, at times or engage with them and, or not avoid them. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that, um, engaging those difficult emotions and engaging with those difficult processes and then being transparent about it with others. Yeah. Um, I am kind of a, a Brene Brown disciple. I really love her. Brene Brown is a, she's a researcher and therapist um, and an author and a speaker. Um, and she talks a lot about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't read any of her books or haven't watched her TED talk, okay. absolutely go do it. So wait, 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 let's spell that name. Yeah. Brene Brown, B R. E N E and then brown like the color. Okay. 
add that to the, um, we'll put it in the, whatever Topher puts up when he puts the podcast up. Yeah, we'll add that to it. We'll put a link to our TED Talk at least. <laughs> I, oh, it's great. I, I have clients watch this stuff all the time. And I watch her TED Talks a couple times a year just because it's okay. one of those things that just yeah, kind of grounds me and, and reorients me and, and reminds me of like the importance of embracing vulnerability. And the, what I love about her work is that it's grounded in research. Um, unlike a lot of the stuff that when people are talking about resilience where it's just yeah. kind of this buzzword and someone has a good idea so they write a yeah. book yeah. Um, her work is, is really really founded in decade in, in over um, a decade of, of qualitative research to really understand shame and vulnerability and, and how people live but she is she's all about a- embracing those, those difficult things yeah. and, and really challenging ourselves to to be vulnerable and to be transparent because that's that's the key to avoiding shame. Um, The reason we experience shame is because we isolate ourselves Ah. and we hide within ourselves. But if we bring others in and embrace that difficulty and we talk about asking for help, we we share with others how we've struggled. Mm -hmm. That's where empathy gets to take place and and when we're modeling that. When everybody's like, yeah, I've experienced that too. And it's validating and yeah. All of those things. Um, Yeah, I I have to at least point her name out um, because I, those, aren't, those aren't my ideas um, and everyone should uh, I think a lot of people can get a lot of stuff from her That's a lot of things out of her work now it correct me if I'm wrong but it's also okay sometimes to be like you know what I just don't have the bandwidth today yep. for this and so I am going to lay on the couch today I'm going to acknowledge oh, that sure. you know like we all have to like there's ups and downs so it's not like you're constantly like I don't think we can constantly be challenged and, and take this on like we have to have moments where we give ourselves a break too so if today is not that day like that's okay too for sure and that's and that's also part of you know what's what's funny is particularly that students um taking that break is often harder than pushing through. Yep. Uh, and, and so that's, we often talk about how hard that work is. And so, but in reality, keep being kind to ourselves mm-hmm. is, is the hard that we need to embrace. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell, yeah, I tell students, what would you say to your classmate um, in this situation? What would you tell them? How about you do that for yourself? You know, we yeah. were talking, I, I had a scenario with the students not that long ago um, where we were talking about like, difficult client communication scenarios. And um, in one of the made up scenarios I created, um, one of the veterinarians maybe made a mistake. And all of the, the students were like, so quick to be like, well, what about this? What about defending them? And like, not a big deal, like it's you're human, it all happens. And I was like, okay, I want you guys to remember all of the things that you're saying to this made up character and how empathetic and patient and kind you guys were. When you're the one making a mistake, can you treat yourselves that way? And a couple of them were like, like what <laughs> um that's you know like give yourselves a break too and they're like oh my god we hadn't really thought of it that way it's so funny how we are so quick to be gracious and grant that um you know it's just like yeah you're human of course you're human but for ourselves like no <laughs> we're not yeah. allowed to take a break like it's reasonable to take a break if you need a break take a break if you need to go take lunch take a lunch but like i'm afraid to ask for a lunch break because what absolutely a- another another person too that i'd references is Dr. Kristen Neff um, and her work on self-compassion and Kristen Neff is K-R-I-S-T-I-N and then Neff N-E-F-F. Yeah her TED talk on uh, on self-compassion is also another one of those that's in my yearly rotation and then I tell clients all about because self-compassion is simply that it's extending the same grace and kindness to yourself that we so often extend to others Um, and 
yeah, it's it's so important. And self compassion is, you know, Brene Brown and and Kristen Neff, they are they do a lot of the same kind of work, and and they they reference each other oh, quite cool. a bit. Um, yeah, but Brene Brown talks about how self compassion is the antidote to perfectionism, and how like we being kind to ourselves and letting ourselves not be perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said a second ago, like that's the hard part oftentimes. It's not overworking. It's the giving ourselves a break is the hard that we need to embrace uh, and saying like, oh, it, it's hard for me to take the Saturday off. Yeah, okay. That's probably that maybe what you need. Yeah, um, yeah. That's really, that's really important. Okay, so here's, we we're talking a little bit about this because I know you've been a big advocate for and one thing you're working um, hard at at Oklahoma State and, and you know, profession-wide is to say, okay, how can the system do better to provide support for students? But the majority of the folks listening to this podcast are veterinary students and don't yet, don't yet have the power and authority to make those changes. One day you will, and I hope you all will. But yeah. until then, um, you know, what advice do you have for veterinary students that are, you know, maybe struggling, maybe they are experiencing that decrease in function, um, or, or anticipate that, or, you know, how, how did they, are there any, you know, advice you have for those students? Yeah, I do. Um, so one of the first things that I always talk about is, is self-reflection and, and taking that time to, to really explore, um, what are my needs? What are, what are my triggers? What are my beliefs about myself? Um, you know, doing these things and thinking about these things, uh, particularly in times when we're doing well, um, is, is kind of like the, the practice before the game. Um, and, and really, like, I think oftentimes we, we don't approach um, our own well-being when we are doing well. We don't think about those things that we need to do to maintain what's going on. Um, and because like, oh, things are good. Why, why do I need yeah. to like work Take doing it? This, this yeah. is my time. You know, things are good. Why this isn't time for me to, to continue to grow. But that's exactly when, because when those difficult storms come through, then, then it's hard to respond. Um, and so like, if you figure out what your needs are, then you can, when things get disheveled, then you can focus, okay, well, here's what I know, what my basic needs are. Here's what I can meet. Maybe I can meet some of the, am I meeting these things? Is that why things are out of balance? Um, understanding our triggers, understanding those things that send us down those negative, the, the either to unhealthy coping mechanisms or negative thought patterns, understanding what those triggers are can really just help us to figure out what is going to set me off or what is going to send me down that path. And then my beliefs, what, oh man, our beliefs about the world drive so much of our behavior um, and really figuring out like, what does it mean for me to do this? What do I believe about myself in my profession? What do I believe about my profession? What do I um, believe is my role and my, as a student or my role as, um, as a helper? What are all these things? And then figuring out like, is this a healthy belief? Is this not like, does this help me grow? Does this, is this, is this setting me up on a path for overworking and not taking care of myself? Or is this really going to help me maintain health so that I can be the sharpest tool um, that I can be throughout my profession. I do think it's also important to clarify that, to say that um, personal reflection is not the same as internal rumination. Um, <laughs> I overthink things. I am the person yeah. who goes to sleep at night and thinks about everything that happened that day and all and then even like there's the random thoughts of like remember that time in sixth grade that was really dumb. <laughs> so, like 
and I just like we have to realize yeah. that there are separate places uh, and separate times. And I think one of the great ways we can kind of ground our personal reflection is through writing, through journaling, through taking that opportunity to really like put stuff on paper because when it's a thought, we can kind of doubt it. Um, ah. But as soon as we put it on paper, it, we kind of bring it it's into- tangible. It's tangible, it's, it's real now. Yeah, it, it's a real thought, it's out of your head. Um, and, and it kind of holds us accountable to, these are the words that I've written and this is here for me to remember. Um, additionally, like, I think it's really important that we slow down. Yeah. We are in a fast-paced society and a fast-paced world. It's hard for me. Um, so hard. And taking time to to reflect, you know, on these things, you know, we can, the the, the, the self-reflection is, is really thinking about, like, kind of in preparing for the future. But we often don't slow down to really think about what's happened, what can I learn from this experience, um, what went well, what didn't go well, what do I feel during this? Um, why am I feeling this? Um, I, I have, I, I love emotions and love feelings and, and like I can, I can talk for another hour about feelings. <laughs> in fact, in, in a couple of weeks, I've got a presentation I'm doing on emotional intelligence. And so you guys can't see him right now, but, um, but you do, you just light up talking about this stuff. Like I can, I can see, I can hear it in your voice and I can see it in your face, like how passionate you are about all of this. Uh, it's, it's really, there's a couple moments where I'm like, oh, he's really getting into something good. <laughs> and and I, I, I could, I could easily just like have these conversations for, because I just, I think that we live in a society that says if it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't help me get forward, I'm not going to do it. And, and in reality, like those things that we often ignore um, are the things that add bits of color and enjoyment to this world. Um, the things that like add that flavor and wonder and, and great things um, that we can slow down. And I think emotions are one of those things that if it doesn't help me, then I'm not going to process it. I'm not going to engage with it. I'm just going to shove it in the closet. Um, but in reality, like feelings are important and they have, they have a purpose. And so engaging with them and exploring them and slowing down to really explore, like, what am I feeling? Even if it's a good day. Like yeah. if you have like that kick ass like day yeah. as a clinician as a student sitting back and being like man, let's revel in this. That was that was awesome. Yeah. And if it's a hard day, that was really tough. I need to now I need to navigate that and I need to acknowledge that. And and you know why am I feeling these things? What needs is this pointing to? Okay, I'm I'm cool. Do I reach out for help? And now I've got this on my own. What's going on? And slowing down is is the key to that because yeah. we um we we don't get to really pick out what's happening if we're yeah. just driving by really really quickly. No, it makes perfect sense. It's I very much struggle with like everything I do in my life I do quickly. That's probably why I got into emergency and critical care as my specialty. Like I don't I can't walk slow. Like I <laughs> the other day I was um I'm walking down so I, from my office down to the clinic where I work and I, I got behind somebody who was walking slower than me. <laughs> and I was just like so I took a detour that was taking me longer but I got to where I wanted faster. Like I will I will drive out of my way to avoid traffic. If I can drive, you know, like everything I yeah. do. And, um, but I do, yeah. I mean, it's a thing I struggle with sometimes is like, it's one thing that it, it's, it's a strength for me sometimes on clinics because like for having sure. to make decisions quickly, um, with limited information, but I, I do struggle sometimes with when I don't have to do that, I still do. Um, and, um, and that it really resonates with you, with what you said about, you know, taking time to slow down and just experience your feelings and your emotions. Um, that's hundred percent going to be something I struggle with as well. 
um, to just sit down and, and just be. Um, that's not, that's not really, I mean, I, I, I think I, I can. Um, and I, I think one thing that helps me is to separate out work from life, right? Like, yeah. um, I mean, even when I, outside of work, I walk real fast, but and, and everybody who listens knows <laughs> I talk fast, but, um, but I can just sit at home and just, just, you know, let things go. But I, I think I tend to, rather than, I don't consciously think, all right, let me explore how today went and was it a good day? Was it a bad day? What made it good? What made it bad? What, you know, mm-hmm. what do I need? What, how is this important for me? And, um, and maybe, maybe that's something that would, would be helpful for sure. Um, another thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about self-reflection and self-reflection is really important, but at some point, you know, you might also need help to sort through some of that, right? To say, okay, is this healthy for me? Is this my perception of good or a bad thing? You might need to seek somebody else um, to help you sort through after Absolutely. you've done that self-reflection, whether that is, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but whether that's just like a close friend or a loved one, somebody you trust, or whether that's a professional might depend on your situation. But, mm-hmm. um, but I, I feel like sometimes self-reflection implies like that you also, that's just you. But I think after you've done that self-reflection, it's reasonable to say, okay, now I need to bounce some of these thoughts off of someone else. Yeah, absolutely. Because both of these like slowing down and um, the self, the, the self-reflection, it's a spectrum of things because we can, we can ruminate on things too much. Yeah. We can to focus too much on the feelings that we have. Mm-hmm. So for, for you, your tendency is to, to rush through. Moving on. Who cares? <laughs> don't, don't. Next. Where my, my tendency is, is to just sit in it too much. Yeah. And, and I need to reflect enough, but then keep moving. Yeah. You know, and that's like having my wife is, is man, is, is great. Um, having close friends as an extrovert, I, I need people in my life. And, and so understanding that that's my tendencies, that's okay. I just have to respond to it in a different way because we're all trying to find that balance of what is healthy for us. Um, and, you know, slowing down is, is important to an extent. We can, yeah. we can spend too much time there or we can also just ignore it and go too fast. We yeah. can not reflect enough and we can reflect too much. And I do think like reaching out to a professional um, counselor is, is, or any, anyone who is an outside and unbiased person is, is going to be great. Um, I, I love that counseling services are so widely available and it's, it's great. Um, if one thing that's one thing that um, has come out of the pandemic, it's been really great is the, is telehealth and how yeah. people are utilizing it. Um, been working with a therapist myself for almost a year now, and I've never met them in person. Um, oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> they live in a different city, um, wow. and so it's been really great to be able to. Uh, and and it's it's been helpful for me as well because Stillwater is a small town, and I know all the therapists yeah. in town. Uh, yeah. And now I can like I point. can find someone who is not who you're not going to run into at the grocery store and yeah, yeah. And, and who but or who isn't a colleague who doesn't know me yeah oh yeah um, yeah so they can uh, truly be unbiased totally and, gotcha. and and have that relationship and so knowing that telehealth and, and access it's accessible um yeah it, it's really wonderful um how that's yeah. a change thing so just well yeah, veterinary medicine has come a long way, um, you know, from just over the years and more and more veterinary schools um, have 
some type of counseling, you know, services mm-hmm. available. We have a veterinary social worker here at Virginia Tech who's fantastic. Um, you know, Oklahoma State, you know, not that long ago though, but did hire you. I don't know if they had anybody before you were there, but more and more schools are having that. And also more and more private practices that I'm talking to people like some of the bigger specialty practices and things like that are also having, whether they have somebody kind of in-house or they have resources that they can go to for um, for their staff or sometimes their clients. So it's becoming much more mainstream in our profession yeah, and much sure. more accessible for people, which is really important. I mean, I don't think we're where we need to be just yet, but we are heading in the right direction, which is really good to see. And again, that message of it's okay to ask for help before it becomes a crisis is so important. Yeah. Um, helpers want to help. Um, so like, let us help. Um, and, and, and ask for, ask for that. I always say that therapy is for anyone who's having a hard day. Um, and so the number of clients that I've had, um, both at the vet school and before the vet school who, after that first session, they look at me and say, you know, I almost didn't make an appointment because I didn't think this was that big of a deal. And I'm like, no, you're the exact person that I want to work with. Right. Um, because because you're here, you know, well, it's exactly like what we do in medicine. I don't want to wait until the animal's nearly dead for you to come in, come in when it's an easy problem, right? Come in early so we can identify the issues and we still have an opportunity to do something about it. Like just, yeah, don't wait until your leg falls off, you know, like, Oh, I have a cut, like, Oh, it's infected. I can deal with, no, you wouldn't do that for hopefully for your own Mm -hmm. personal, like physical health. So why for your mental health, wait until it's dire. Yeah. Those, those one or two session clients are great. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it doesn't have to be this a lifelong, lifelong yeah, that's um, fine too, but, and, and there's people who, um, I've had, I've had colleagues who they have, they have clients who come in like on a yearly basis, like every yeah. July or something yeah. just for a checkup or they come in with their partner and they say like, Hey, like, you know, you're our EAP, you know, employee assistance provider. Yeah. And so like, we know we have a few free sessions every year. So we come and we utilize them to check in. You know, it's, it's car maintenance for them. This is their oil change. This is their, you know, getting stuff done. Um, And you can utilize therapy like that. You can find that person that you have that relationship with that you just say like, I'm here to check in and just need that conversation every once in a while. Um, That's really smart. Those are, those are ways we can kind of maintain that. So you can do the maintenance or just as an ad needed, as needed, right? doesn't mean like, okay, I'm going through this right now. I need some help through this. And then I'm back in a good place. But six months from now, something else comes up. And now I, you know, I need a couple sessions or mm-hmm. um, I need to chat with somebody that that to me makes a lot of sense. Cause I, I would imagine for most people, that's going to going to be the fit that you don't necessarily yeah. um, have to talk to somebody every week or multiple times a week. It's like some, maybe some chunks of time you're like, okay, I, we, this is intense. I need to get through this. And then other times um, I'm good. I'll see you in a few months or I'll call you, you know, when things come up, but don't wait until it's dire. Yeah. And, you know, and, and with that, I would also encourage everyone to, to talk with those people who are close in their life because, because friendship is very different than the therapist client relationship. Yeah. Um, I, as much as I enjoy my therapist, like he's not my pal. Um, and I, I should never look to him and treat him as such. Yeah. Um, and so we want, I, w- I want to make sure that I'm making, I'm doing what I can in therapy so that I can reach out to to my friends and have those yes. friendships yeah your therapist well. is not your friend yeah for you sure other people who are your friends but you can uh, have better friendships with those people if you're working with of, your therapist yeah exactly yeah makes perfect absolutely. sense to be a better friend 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense too. I can imagine that that would be hard because um, you're being really intimate with that person and, mm-hmm. and very vulnerable. So I can imagine that that would be a challenge at times um, because you are going to have like, you know, good feelings about somebody that you're talking to and they're helping you. And, um, but yeah, ma- maintaining um, like, no, then you have to go back and, and maintain these relationships and maybe be vulnerable with other people as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This has been really cool. It's been really Absolutely. nice chatting with you. I feel like we have a lot more we could talk about. Um, All right, there's, so, a, there's a lot I could talk about as well. Yeah, I, I hope that you will be up for coming back sometime. Absolutely. This was great. I, I really I enjoyed this conversation. Really fun. Awesome. Well, Jeremiah Grissett from Oklahoma State University. Maybe, I, you know, maybe next time it will be Dr. Grissett. Hey, fingers crossed. <laughs> Yeah. Well, best of luck um, finishing up your PhD and defending. And thank you again so very much for joining us. Um, That is going to be all we have for today's Veterinary Journal Club, um, but hope that you guys will um, join us for next time.